right, good job, guys. Super proud of you. See what a difference it makes when a children's director does its job. Wow. Good job, guys. No, for real, proud of you guys. Thank each and every one of you parents uh, who made sure your children were here and available to sing tonight. We do understand that the children's choir struggles greatly if the parents don't bring them. Um, but, no, let me give you a little update about downstairs and how it's going because... You guys never get to be down there. So, and I realized the other day that if I don't update you, you know, you probably don't find out. I'm a children's director here, and it's a couple, maybe a couple weeks ago, I asked Dad about something, or he said something to me. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I announced it for like the past two weeks. And I'm like, missed the announcements for like the past couple weeks, you know? Like, I don't know what's going on, but let me tell you guys what. God's been blessing huge ways downstairs. Uh, um, on Wednesday night, our program is more, we, we see a lot more of the bus children come out, uh, typically just because it's hard to get them to wake up time for the 9 o'clock bus route. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants to show up to Georgia and get out of bed in time to get on the bus at 9. But on Wednesday night, we have a lot of kids coming in on the bus route. We've been seeing growth from Willow Lake and from Stony Creek both as those routes just get bigger and bigger and more kids are coming in. Uh, there was one week I went downstairs and uh, Brother Brandon and Miss Brittany, Brother Robbie and Miss Elizabeth rotate on when they're helping me. They can't stand to work with me every week, so they got a rotation going on, give them breaks, which, I, hey, I'm cool with. Um, and I went downstairs one week, and I completely forgot about whose week it was. Uh, there, something had happened and got it all flip-flopped, and I didn't know whose week it was. And uh, it was Brandon and Brittany's week, and they weren't there yet, and I was standing down there, and I see all these kids coming in, right? And I'm, like, looking around, and nobody's down there. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 bad, 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 you know? Like, I'm by myself down here. I started counting. We got 37 kids down there, and both is me, okay? And now, I'm trained professional, but still, 37 to 1 is bad, bad odds. And uh, Dad's like, do you want me to grab Robbie? And I was like, yeah, sure. And Robbie came down, and Elizabeth came down, no problem at all. And... Uh, I was like, yes, finally, and then Brandon and Brittany showed up, too. And I was like, Psh, I don't have to do anything, Robbie. You teach Brandon and Brittany. Y'all do child control, and I'm going to sit back and listen. But, no, it's been great. And uh, it was last week. Uh, we've been going through the seven seas of history um, as we study all, everything from creation until when Christ returns, uh, which is still coming, the second coming. And right now we're in corruption, and so we're preaching on sin and teaching on sin. And you're like, really, the children? Yeah, absolutely. We tell them everything they do wrong, bad attitudes, bad behavior. I mean, so if your kid starts acting better, I got you. Um, but now we're studying uh, corruption. And last week we were studying out the price of sin and what that cost. And at the invitation, we had a couple kids raise their hand. Brother Bobby was able to take two children out, I, I believe both from our bus ministry, and share the gospel with them and see them accept Christ as their Savior. And so, friends, let me tell you what, that's what it's all about. That's what gets me excited about children's ministry, to see God making a difference in, in a young child's life at an, at an early age. And I am excited about what's going on. We've had, when you're teaching, you can kind of gauge people responses. It's harder up here. Some of you guys just don't respond up here, and so there's nothing to gauge. But for those of you who do respond, it can be harder up here. With children, it's super obvious, you know? Like, if they're thinking, you can tell they're thinking. If they're distracted, you can tell. Like, whatever they're doing, you can tell. And uh, there's a lot of kids down there that when you're teaching about salvation, they're thinking through it, and you can see that they're not quite ready, but that they're getting there. And so, you guys pray with me as I'm down there teaching. I have the opportunity to share the gospel. But it's only through you guys bringing them and through your prayers that we can see God do a work down there. And we are super excited about it and know there's a great need. And we're looking forward to what God is going to continue to do down there. Tonight, we're going to be in Hebrews. Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Hebrews as we jump in to what we got for tonight. 
It's a kind of a weird title, and it's going to kind of maybe catch you off guard. And so I told them up there, I said, don't even bother putting it up yet until I lay some groundwork. That way these people don't get like, what, before I have a chance to tell you where we're coming from. Uh, I was reading through the book of Hebrews, and as I'm reading through Hebrews, it's written to the, the Jewish people. Um, I believe it was written by Paul. It, it, we don't know that. And so if I say Paul said, understand that's my opinion, not biblical fact, okay? But I, I do believe it's Paul, and so often I'll just say Paul was writing, but... The book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish people, and, and it, it was written specifically to show how Jesus is, is better than the Old Covenant. The Jewish people coming from tradition, coming from sacrifice, um, and all the work that really went into that, from raising perfect lambs to sacrifices and all the feasts and all the, the ceremonies and everything that went into that. Religion wasn't just something they could do uh, on the Sabbath or not just something they could do whenever they had a feast, but it was really an area... Uh, where for the Jewish people, religion consumed their whole life. And Paul was writing in the book of Hebrews, and as he wrote in the book of Hebrews, he was saying, look, Jesus is better. The old covenant has passed away, and now we have a new covenant where no longer do we need a priest and sacrifices, but now we have relationship with Jesus Christ simply ourselves. Now, newsflash, let me bring you up to speed before we dive in. We are all new covenant Christians. We don't have to worry about sacrifices, and we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, raising a perfect lamb or raising a perfect goat or buying doves or anything like that. Sacrifices aren't our thing. We are a new covenant. And tonight I want to talk to you a little bit, as we understand that we're new covenant Christians, on how to live as a new covenant Christian. I hear people say, and I've been asked the question, you know, like, there's a difference between vocational and bivocational Christians, and uh, or vocational and non-vocational Christians. And so, vocational, you get paid to do it, right? It's easy. You can go into vocational ministry, and then you have non-vocational where you're just supposed to do it because you're saved. And uh, I hear people say, like, you know, I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray and stuff, but like, I'm glad I didn't have to do all they had to do back then. You know, I'm glad, I, and I'm also glad that we don't have to do sacrifices. But tonight I want to show you some things that the Bible, that the writer of Hebrews lays out that we are supposed to do. How do we live? Because we now have been gifted this great relationship with Jesus Christ to where we can come before the throne freely. We can come to God. And if you look back earlier in Hebrews, which you're probably going to hear a message coming up on this. I was torn today whether to preach this one or that one, so I'm probably just going to mix them together and give them to you. Um, but we can come boldly before the throne of grace in light of that relationship, in light of that opportunity. How do we live? That's what we're looking at. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into the scriptures. God, I pray that you would empty me of myself, and that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. And God, tonight, I pray that you would just give me the right words to say. And God, I know that the message isn't complicated. And I pray that you wouldn't let me stand in the way of the message. God, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to me, to speak to every person here. As we open our hearts, God, would you show us what we need to know? Would you convict us where we need to grow, God? And tonight, would you allow us to leave here changed, closer to you, God? and more equipped to do the service that you've called us to do. I pray you just bless the message, God. Bless the speaker. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter number 10 is where we're going to be jumping in. Hebrews chapter number 10. In light of the fact that we have a relationship with God, what can we do? And I love what the author of Hebrews chose first. We are in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Um, and as we come to this section tonight, we're going to read a little bit for context, and then we're going to jump into what 
those three letter statements, Paul says, in light of what I've told you, that no longer do we need a priest, but now Jesus Christ is our high priest, and we can come straight to God. Let us, and then he follows that with three things that I want to give you guys tonight, as, as a church, and we have the opportunity to go to God, let us, I'm giving you three things right there, okay? Uh, let's start reading in verse number 19, and then we'll read all the way through and come back and look at these statements. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, that is, the presence of God, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Again, this is context, as the author of Hebrews is showing, that now we don't have to go into the holiest of holies, but we can go straight to God. And having a high priest over the house of God, here's where these statements begin. Uh, number one, let us draw near with a true hope and full assurance of faith, having a hope sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, number two, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that is promised. And number three, let us consider one another. Vote unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I just gave you the whole message. Y'all can go home. No, <laughs> kidding. I'm going to elaborate on that just a little bit. I do plan for it to be a brief message tonight, but I think that this will just be an encouragement to us. If you jump back to verse number 22, uh, the writer of Hebrews here says, let us, in light of this, that we can draw close to God, he says, let us draw near. When I've read this and I was preparing the message, right, when, when I prepare a message, I kind of read the Bible and I try to break down what the Bible says in a way that I don't, you know, I can just give it to you. It makes it more preachable. And oftentimes when you're, when you're breaking down a passage and you can read and be like, let us draw, and you're like, okay, here's this, draw in and, and all that. But I, I pause for a moment. And I thought of who the book was written to. Those who had never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't up to them to draw near. It wasn't up to them to be close to God. All they had was sacrifices. All they had was payment for sin. All they had was all this, this great law. And if, I don't have time, but we could flip back to the Old Testament. We can look in Atticus, Leviticus. Exodus, wow, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, and we can see the law given in vast detail that they followed. And yet only one person once a year got to enter into the presence of God. And Apostle Paul says, look, because Jesus Christ came and died, and his blood bought you the right to have a presence in front of God, draw near. Can we just be honest with ourselves for just a quick second, and then we're going to move on with the message. Between you and God, how close are y'all? How much nearness is there in your relationship? The Old Testament, the covenant, the, the Old Testament Jews knew a great deal about God. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible word for word. I would like to see me try to attempt that. It wouldn't happen. I'm not even making it through Genesis. Forget it. Like 50 chapters, not happening. Can't happen. I mean, maybe someday if I start now. But they would memorize the first five books of the Bible, could, could repeat it and recite it. 
They knew who God was. They memorized this law. Well, they practiced it every day. They had to have it memorized. It was their religion, and yet they weren't near to God. And tonight I ask you, do we know more about God or do we know more about the nearness to God? You have the right to be in the presence of God, so are you there? Are you enjoying the presence of God? And we're going to look how to come near to God with what we're coming near to God in just a second. But, but honestly, can we just take a second and say, how near to God am I? Christ died so that we could be in his presence. His grand scheme was so that we could enter into the presence of God. And so often, I think, it's just flippant. We all have someone that we look up to. Now, I could say who it is for me. I could not say who it is for you, but you could probably think of it. Think of someone that you probably never have the chance to meet, never have the chance to be in their presence. And let's imagine that tonight I brought him here. Aaron's thinking about me. He's smiling. He wants to be in my presence. <laughs> um, no. But tonight we brought him here and had him sit on the front row. And you have the opportunity to, to be in their presence. And Dave, I don't know who it is for you. Don't say it, okay? Just... Let's just assume that Dave's sitting over here, and whoever it is for Dave, I don't know. I'm trying to make a, a joke, but I can't even think of anybody to make a joke with. All right, but they're, they're sitting there, all right? And Dave, you come tonight. And I'm like, Dave, you didn't know this. Me and him go way back. Or her, I don't know who it is, but we go way back. And so I set this up for you, all right? No charge. I want you guys just to head down to the fellowship hall during the message, and you can hang out in her presence, his presence, whoever it is, and y'all can talk about whatever, and you can spend time with them, take selfies with them, post it on Facebook, whatever you want to do. How many of y'all are going to be surprised if Dave just chills here? And he's like, ah, cool, thanks, no big deal. I'm like, um, Dave, it wasn't cheap necessarily to get him here. kind of cost a lot for this presence to be available for you, but I paid it. So you can go. He's like, eh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to sit here, you know. I'm going to be like, what? What? You kidding me? I paid all this money, and you're just going to let him sit down there? You're not going to go talk to him? You're not going to say hi? You're not going to get a picture? You're not going to do anything? You're not going to let him impact your life? Like, me and Dave have major problems. But Jesus died. That's the price he paid so that we could go into the presence of God. And so often, I'm too tired. Uh, I've got too much to do. I'm too stressed. I'm too worked up. And I don't have time to invest in drawing near to God. But hey, His presence is available. A lot of times when you lose something, you, you forget how nice it is. Me and Danielle started dating. We was at college. Huh? Surprise, right? And uh, we had uh, the privilege to hang out. So we had classes, right? And we thought it was terrible. You got like three hours a day that you can hang out doing homework, like, come on, you know, we got to go to class, and we got, like, you know, a couple classes apart, we, we eat breakfast and in class, and then we eat lunch together in class, and then we eat dinner together, and then we go do homework, and then we can text after that. So it's, like, such a terrible, you know, amount of time we have to spend together. It's, like, you know, half a day, maybe. So kind of sad. And we, we drew near, right? And this, the idea was get married, then you have all day. Yeah. All right? You know what I'm saying? Nothing will prohibit us hanging out. That's a great plan. So we got married. And guess what? For one week, plan was perfect. Yeah. Woke up together, 
did everything together, spent the night together, everything. It was perfect. And then, it has not yet been perfect since then. I don't, if someone has marriage advice on what went wrong with my plan, you know, because I would still like that to be the case, and it's not at all. We don't even spend every minute together on Saturday, and I'm home. Like, grass still grows, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, you got to mow grass, married? And now that I don't get the time to be in her presence, it means more. In comparison, I wonder those who never had a chance to be in God's presence, and yet still devoted their whole life to fulfilling the covenant. How much more time they would spend in the presence of God if they could just live where we are? Because we have it, we're taking it for granted. I pray whenever I want. So if it's five minutes now, I can pray for an hour later. I can read whenever I want. I can come into the presence of God whenever I want. And so there's no urgency. They would get this. When we were dating at college, wasn't a big deal, you know, if I would do homework alone and go play football and, and not really talk to her for a night. I could do what I wanted. Why? Because hang out all day tomorrow. Now, if I can be hanging out with her, I'm probably going to do it because it's going to be like a 30-minute window before I have to go weed eat or do something else, you know. And so we hang out, especially with the baby. That tanked the, the tiny bit that was left. Some of y'all with more kids are like, you have no idea. <laughs> Enjoy your 30 minutes, right? But all I'm trying to say, guys, is this. Could we stand to be closer to God? How near are we? The writer of Hebrews says, look, old covenant's gone. No more sacrifice than paying for sin. He says that previous in this chapter as he breaks it down. He says, there's no more sacrifices for sin. There's no more washing that way. All of that's gone. So now because you have the opportunity to be close to God, draw near. Let's look at some of the things we could draw near with. With a true heart. Draw near with a true heart. Hebrew 10, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near, that is to God, with a true heart. No longer about a ceremony. No longer about rituals. But now for us as Christians, it's a true heart. A genuine desire to be close to God. I feel like a lot of times we may have the tendency to draw nigh to God when we can foresee a problem or foresee needing help or in the middle of needing help. That is, our hope's not true. If we know something bad is happening or is about to happen, we can look at the budget and be like, huh, <laughs> nope. Um, or, or we can look at a situation that's going downhill. We're like, well, I know what to do to make God happy. I'm going to breathe more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get on God's good side, and then he's going to solve this problem. But our hope's not true. A Jew could live and sacrifice animals every year and not care and never really care about God and look great. But now that we have the right to go into the presence of God ourselves, he's not judging our outside. He's judging our heart. So when you're drawing near to God, my question is, he says draw near with a true heart, with an honest heart. Are you drawing near because you actually want to be in the presence of God? Or simply because you need the power of God? Because if you're drawing near simply because you need the power of God, he's loving and he's gracious and he's better than me. Because I'd probably be like, get out of here. 
I'm not wasting my time on you. Man, sometimes he does. But our host's desire shouldn't be. God is so powerful, so let me get close. God has so much ability, so let me get close to him. Or God can solve this problem. Good to have faith in God. Bad to only get close to God because of what he can do. Get close to God because of who he is. Come with a true heart. Not only that, but we can see come with full assurance. Come with full assurance. Not talking about full assurance of your salvation. As I don't know of many Christians that have been saved for an extended period of time that haven't struggled with assurance of salvation. But he's saying come with full assurance of faith. That is, that the work that Christ did on Calvary bought you the right to be in the presence of God and come with full assurance into his presence. There have been times I wind up in places and I'm kind of feeling like maybe I shouldn't be there. Maybe like I'm like not intentionally, you know, trying to be bad. The first time I went to a game at uh, Pensacola, I walked out one of the doors of the stadium. It was the college basketball team and I walked out and the door I went out went like behind the stadium. I'd never been back there before. And then I'm starting to look around and all that's back there is like this staff and the band's like having this party back there and all like taking our instruments apart. And we had won the game and they're all hype and it's like the band lead on the band and everybody's back there. And I'm kind of like, where do I go? I just want to go back to my dorm and go to bed. You know, like I didn't really feel confident being there. But when you come into the presence of God, you can't be that close unless you're sure. To us, something we take for granted. To them, something that was every day. And let's just be sure, guys. God wants you in his presence. There's never a moment, there's never a time that God's like, eh, stay away, stay away. You're like, well, you don't really know the sin that I'm dealing with. He wants you in his presence confessing those sins so he can forgive you. You don't know the kind of life that I've lived, so I don't think God wants me. God wants you in his presence so that he can draw you closer to him. He can show you more of himself. You don't really understand. I've not been that faithful. God already knows, and he still wants you in his presence. I'm a great Christian. I don't struggle with anything. God already knows, and he wants you in his presence so he can show you what you do. There's never a time that God doesn't want you in his presence. So come to him with a true hope, genuinely wanting to be known close to him. And come to him with assurance that he wants you there. Be near to God. I'm going to skip the next two subpoints. I'm going to go straight to number two. The next let us hold statement. And the Bible says, let us hold fast. Oh, faith. One, draw near. Two, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. That's verse number 23 in Hebrews. Guys, I want to just ask you, how focused are we on making sure? Now, this is, let me clarify before I ask, and then we'll come back to that. This verse is not asking about uh, hold fast the profession that is um, to say necessarily confident in your own salvation, to hold fast. Although it is speaking of that, it says hold fast the profession of our faith, the biblical standard, the biblical practices. 
what we believe to be true about that, that God is saving sinners, that the blood of Christ paid the price, and that anyone who, who wants to be can believe on Jesus Christ and get saved, and that the gospel must go forth, and that this is right and this is wrong, and this is what God called us to, to live. Let us hold fast that profession of our faith. And, and I wonder, guys, how fast are we holding to our faith? He was writing again to the Jews at Jerusalem. The book was written, and they were being persecuted, saying, look, this new way is not working out. You need to come back to old religion. They were being persecuted and said that what they were practicing for Jesus Christ wasn't true. And the writer of Hebrews writes and says, hold fast your faith. Don't let others take from you what you know to be true. To you guys. To me. There are people everywhere who are trying to take what we believe is true and change it take the profession of our faith and say God's not actually loving. <laughs> In fact, God didn't even create the world. What the Bible says is true is not actually true. It's just an idea of what could be true to you. And what you believe is actually not really what science says is true, so that doesn't work. And if we're not careful, we'll never believe in evolution. No, we don't think abortion's right. No, and we think the Bible's right about this and wrong about that. But slowly we begin to let the profession of our faith slip. Little bit by little bit. You'd be surprised what some of the kids who grew up in this church program believe to be true. Because we are letting our profession slip. And they are letting their profession slip. Just a little bit. He says, Let you do, uh, hold fast the profession of our faith. Watch this. Without wavering. Just a little movement. Just a little movement. I want to go quickly. But guys, are we constant and steady enough in our life that when others look at us, they say, he has not wavered. He doesn't make excuses about why it's right for him not to go to church, but it's not for others. He doesn't make excuses about his Bible time and his study time. No, he's holding fast to the profession of his faith. He has not wavered at all. He is steady and he's consistent on what he believes to be true. I wonder, would that be true of me? Would that be true of you? Would that be true of our church when the community looks at us as individuals? Do they say that church stands on the truth and in the profession of faith and they believe still what the Bible says to be 100% true? They're not over there trying to excuse as many things out as they can, but they're saying this is the word of God and no matter what it says, this is what is true and I'm holding fast to the profession of faith. If that upsets you, I'm sorry, but this is what is true and this is how I'm going to live. Hold fast to the profession of our faith. Oh, we wavering. And then I like this. Hold fast profession of faith without wavering, but with his promise. The verse says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. It's like the writer of Hebrews threw this in to be a little bit of an encouragement. To say, look, I know that it might be difficult sometimes when people are challenging and doubting and saying that what you believe is not true, but remember that he is faithful. He has promised. And because He is faithful, let that be an encouragement to us. Let that be the motivation to us to say, I'm holding fast to what the Word says. I'm holding fast to this profession of faith, and I'm not going to let it waver. Not because of me. Not because of what I do. But because the Word of God is true, and He is faithful. God is faithful. Moving on to the last point, where I want to spend the majority of our time. Let us consider one another. 
Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. Hebrews 10, verse number 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. This one threw me way off. When it comes to things that I tell people or that I would think to tell people when they're asking how to live the Christian life. Okay, let us draw near. Yeah, that one will be in there, perhaps rewarded, but definitely you need to be close to God and in tune with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Let us hold fast. Absolutely. I would, I would tell them you need to be strong on what you believe. You need to be able to defend what you believe. You need to be confident in what you believe. And if someone asks you a question about your belief, there are questions that should throw you off, but you should be able to come back to the Word of God and come back to that person and say, this is what the Bible says and this is what I believe. And I would probably talk about discipleship, and I would probably talk to them about going out and sharing the gospel. But I don't think that I would come to where the writer of Hebrews came. He said, in this time, you're able to go, draw close to God, so do it. In this time of persecution, you're going to be tempted to let something slip to fit in a little bit more. Hold fast to your profession of faith. And in this time, evangelize the world. No. And in this time, be sure that you really stay close to God because it's going to be bad out there. No. And in this time, make disciples everywhere. No. Those are things stated other places in Scripture. He sums this up by saying it's so much more as you see the day approaching. By the way, I see the day approaching, so this fits to us. If you can't see the day approaching, get with me afterwards, and we'll look through the end times, and you'll see the day approaching. Um, and Paul says, as the day's coming, let us consider one another. Speaking to Christians. Not let us consider the Great Commission. Let us consider one another. How do we consider one another? First off, by provoking. Wow, that word sounds like provoking to anger. When I thought of that word, I thought of like the kid in King's Kids who's doing this consistently, right? Whoever's sitting beside him will be sitting right here. Grabs candy. Punches in the leg. Like, and I'm sitting up there teaching. I'm like, those two about to get in a fight because that dude isn't going to take it that much longer. I'm like, you're provoking him to do something he doesn't want to do right now. This is a good kid. He's just trying to be fine. He just let you steal his candy. And now you're going to punch him. Now you're going to harass him. Now you're going to bother him. And then I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, gentlemen, let's work on this situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next thing you know, he's pinching him under the table. And I'm like, man, you're provoking this kid to you about to cause a fight right here in this church, and I'm trying to stop it. This kid's trying to stop it, and you just got, something's wrong with you, bro. And then that's typically when I say, um, you know, Brandon, Bobby, you know, somebody come please take this problematic kid and do something with them so I can continue teaching. Um, and if you want to know who I'm talking about, it's uh, on the aliens kid. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. Definitely not. The, you guys are great. Um, but uh, you have kids causing problems. I'm like, man, stop provoking people. They're not trying to cause problems. <laughs> wow. Aaron just threw me off. <laughs> All right. Um, 
I'm like, they're not provoking people, you know? Like, stop, bro, chill. And I try not to make children feel awkward, but then there's times when with like with the microphone, I'm like, look, okay, I need you to stand up and come sit down up here, and I can't even teach, and everybody's just staring at them, and they awkwardly come up and sit down. I'm like, oh, now you can't provoke people. Um, but the thing is, when I'm provoking someone, I can't provoke Aaron so easily, and I do it every Sunday morning in Sunday school if you want to come listen in. Um, when you're provoking someone, you're causing them to react whether they really want to or not. If I wanted to provoke someone to anger, I could probably consistently kick them in the shin and get the job done. I imagine that me just again and again all day would do it. You know, if I want to provoke someone to laugh, maybe tell some jokes that I know are really funny or something of that nature, when you're provoking someone, you're, you're pretty much setting up an environment where it is more natural to do whatever you're trying to achieve than it is to do the other opposite. That's why when a kid is trying to provoke someone to anger, i.e. being annoying, Oftentimes, you see good children respond in bad ways. Why? Because they were provoked. And the Bible says here, let us consider one another to provoke. Again, to set up an environment where it's more natural to do than it is not to. Let us provoke one another unto love and to good works. It is the Christian's job to consider brethren. For us, as this part of the local church, to consider each other and to set up an environment where it is more natural for people to love, for people to do good works, than it is for them not. A successful way to do that is not to complain to the pastor or to other church members about how so-and-so is not involved and they never do anything and I'm doing everything. The joke, I've said it, that, you know, 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people is not typically the joke that provokes people to do good. Me not showing love does not necessarily set up an environment where people notice a lack of love and then they want to be over-loving. Me complaining about the lack of, of people doing good work, I just can't find anybody to do anything, and oh, this church, it's not provoking anybody. But instead, by example, through love, through good works, provoke one another. It's a... Uh, There's a lot more of them than there are of us, guys. And for the majority of the time, we are out there trying to be an encouragement to them. Some people are friendly about it, some people don't care, and some people are not friendly about it. But the thing is, to continuously try something and to be unsuccessful is time. My life dream, which is currently unfulfilled, was to be able to bench 250 pounds. I made it to 225, Aaron. I cannot tell you guys how much time I spent laying on that bench press with 250 pounds on a boat with it sitting on my chest, trying as hard as I could. Give me three inches. Just let me move it. That way I can say I benched it. And it is tiring. It was tiring to bench 225, 230. 250 wouldn't move killed me. And there I lay, trying to get like 90 pounds over body weight. 
not moving. Still hasn't. Now it would probably be like 150 pounds. Wouldn't move. And it's time. But the only reason that I continuously kept trying to bench, all my roommates benched, all my friends benched, everyone down in college was working out all the time. I would wake up at 5 in the morning. That's sleeping in now. But I would wake up at 5 in the morning as a college kid, right, staying up till 3. I wake up at 5. Why? Oh, because I'm going to the gym. Yeah, yeah, me and my tiny self are going to the gym to bench again today. And we're doing it again tomorrow. I'm drinking protein shakes. I'm drinking creatine. I'm doing everything. Why? Well, it's not because I care about lifting weights. I haven't lifted weights one time. Well, I did with uh, Danielle a little bit, but maybe like 10 times totally since I left college. And when I lifted with her, I wasn't trying to set any records. I did it then because I had roommates that said, hey, man, I think this week's the week. I think you're going to get 250 this week. Let's get to the gym. Come on, let's throw up some reps all week long. We'll max it on Saturday. I'm like, yeah, we'll max it on Saturday. No 250. They're like, hey, try this new protein shake, dude. This thing's going to get you there. I know you want 250. Let's keep working on it. Yeah, let's buy this new protein shake. Hey, let's drink more creatine and eat more protein. Yeah, let's do. Let's get back in the gym. Let's keep working out. And guess what? Because of the environment, I was, it didn't matter if I was in the hall, if I was in class, if I was texting a buddy, if I was in the room. Everybody was talking about their new max and how much they could bench or how much they could squat. And I wanted to be able to get my new max or my new bench or my new squat. And so because of the environment, I was sure that I spent as much time as I could in the gym. I left those buddies. And guess what? They're all just now graduating college, absolutely jacked, look nice, still drinking creatine, still slamming protein shakes, still in the gym at 5 a.m. And I'm not. Only thing that changed is I stopped hanging out with people who like to work out. And I don't have the desire to work out. It's impossible for us to continue and to have energy. And serving Jesus Christ, if when we come to the place where we're supposed to get re-energized, no one's provoking anybody to do anything. Unless I start hanging out with some guys that work out, I'll probably never seriously work out again. Let the 250 die. No need to bench it. It's not going to impress anybody. It's not going to mean anything to me. So just stop. And a lot of times as Christians, we give and we give and we give and we're looking around and nobody's provoking us to love. Nobody's provoking us to good works. and Nobody's considering one another. And eventually we stop going to the bench press. And when our protein shake runs out, we don't buy more. We stop drinking creatine. Our diet goes. And ultimately, we stop lifting. And as Christians, we stop giving. You say, are you saying it's my responsibility to, uh, for my, my, my brother's spiritual success? Yes, I am. It's the church's job to consider one another. First off, by provoking. Second off, by not forsaking. By not forsaking. And consider one another to provoke to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I, I, I touched on this, I laid the groundwork for this in the last point. Guys, shocker. You cannot provoke me to do good if you're not around me. 
Likewise, I cannot provoke you to do good if I'm not around you. Now, a lot of people just grab this verse at random and say, Huh, you've been laying on the church, you know, Dad. Um, well, Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. Expect to see you back on Sunday, right? And sure, you, yes, that's there. But the point of the verse is not to say, you've been out of church and it's time to get back. You're not supposed to forsake. Well, you're not. But that was not just a random verse in Scripture that he just threw in there for pastors to really hammer on people that lay down a church with. It's in there because he said, look, provoke one another to love and good works. He follows this up by saying, exhort one another, which we're looking at in a second. And right in the middle, he says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. What he's saying, when we stop to, when we start to forsake the assembly, when we stop coming together, then we cannot continue. Me and Aaron have a lot of problems we're working on. We're getting counseling. Um, but, but ultimately, I can't provoke him if he stops coming to church. Aaron can't provoke me to do more if I stop coming to church. And, and let me just add to that. If you are present at church, but not intentionally provoking and exhorting others, then it basically equals the same. The body of Christ was designed to collectively give, right? I count on my entire body every day. I chopped off this little teeny tiny pot, right? It's like this long of a pinky. And I didn't think it would matter that much. And the doctor says to me, would you like me to put pins in it and sew it back on and we'll see what we can do? And I had horror flashbacks of Greg talking about his pins. And I said, no, no, ma'am. And she's like, no, I think I can pin it. And I said, no, I'm not kidding. I want you just to cut it off and sew it back together. And she's like, okay. And I was like, vehement, I don't want any pins. And all I could think about, I had cut off finger, blood everywhere, like noses talking to me. And the only thing in my mind was, I don't want to be like Greg with those pins in my hand. <laughs> like that was the only thought I was having. And I didn't want them. I knew no pins for me. And then this doctor has the nerve to try to pin it anyway. Luckily, I had damaged it too much, and she couldn't. So she cut it off. I'm like, no big deal. You know, I lost part of the pinky. You know, not a big deal. Big deal, actually. First day, I went to swing a hammer. I went back to work, and I'm like, ah, it's been like six weeks. This thing's fine. My hand works fine. My grip was back up. I go to swing a hammer, and I was swinging back like this, right? When I hit right here, I expected my pinky to tighten up. No pinky movement at all. And my hammer came out of my hand, went flying. Wet. I'm like, what in the world? I go get my hammer. I'm like, it's just because it's been six weeks since I swung a hammer. You know, like, I got this. I, could, I can't hit nails. Smash my finger like crazy. No hammer control. Throws the hammer. I'm like, dude, it's a tiny piece of a pinky. Guess what? The whole body is important. For those of you thinking of chopping something off, don't do it. Okay? <laughs> if you, Greg can confirm, it's not a good move. Um, because why? The whole body was made to give. It wasn't by mistake that God contrasts and compares the church to the body. Every poet was designed to give. If this little poet stops giving, it messes up what this whole poet was doing. I swung a hammer fine. I'm not a two-nail, two, like two-hit nail driver, but I could hit the nail every time. There are still days today that I don't know what the deal is. Like, I can't hold on to my hammer. It's just falling out. 
Not to mention when it gets cold, it hurts, and that affects uphill. I can't think. I hate hunting now because it gets cold. I'm like sitting with it in like eight gloves wrapped up in a coat, and I'm trying to just keep this thing warm. It affects everything. When we begin to forsake our responsibility, which is what it is, to the church, then it affects the body. The body wasn't designed to come and hear me or Pastor Kent or Pastor John speak. The body wasn't designed to come and hear and be like, eh, could have been better. Eh, that was good. Oh, Pastor nailed it. The body wasn't designed even to come and leave changed. The body was designed to give both outwardly and inwardly. And here the writer of Hebrews says, look, let us consider one another. In that, provoke each other to do good. In that, you can't be forsaking your responsibility in the church to be exhorting and to be encouraging one another. Guys, if, if the church wants to be effective outside, then we have to be effective inside. Just like you're telling me that I need to come to church with the intention of actually encouraging someone. I need to be looking for opportunities to encourage someone to get more active in their spiritual life. I need to be looking for opportunities to sell, tell someone that I was praying for them and actually be praying. You're telling me that I need to come to church with intention to do more than just listen? You're telling me that I need to come to church having to do woke? Isn't that what the pastor does? Isn't the pastor there to encourage? Isn't the pastor there to exhort? Yeah, he better be, you know? But so should you to him and to others around you. It's one thing if the pastor comes up and says, hey, thanks, I'm proud of you, you know, great job, thanks for serving, I appreciate it. But he's the pastor. We get offended if he doesn't do that. Therefore, it's not real encouragement. You have to tell. Like my wife, I was playing softball, right? I had a couple home runs, and then genius me is like, yeah, this is probably like my last hit of the game. So I'm going to hit a grand slam right here. Nope. 0 for 3 on a strike table in slow pitch softball. And my wife says, oh, you did great. Thanks. But I just see myself strike out in slow pitch softball. That's not great. That's not an accomplishment. You have to say that. In reality, she was probably like, oh, no. Like, just hit the ball. Just bunt. Do something. Get on base. You know, give me something to brag about. No, I strike out. And it's the same thing if he does. But guess what? If the brethren are encouraging one another, I don't have to encourage you guys. Terry doesn't have to encourage me. Randy doesn't have to encourage anybody. You can come. You can sit. You can leave. And you can do nothing but you're forsaking your responsibility to the church. Yeah, it is our responsibility to collectively share the gospel. And I'm not diminishing from that fact. Tonight, I'm just drawing our attention to the one I think we breeze over. It's not the pastor's responsibility to make sure we all are encouraged. Side note to that, it says, provoke them unto love and good works. It's our job to make sure we're loving. It's our job to make sure that we're encouraging each other to get involved in ministry. That means we should be doing our job to say, hey, there's this spot in the church I noticed. Why don't you hit up the pastor and see if you can serve? And that, that includes me. It's my job to encourage you guys, your job to encourage me to do more, not his. He leads, 
But what's supposed to be involved? You know, like, I think you're making that up. Did Pastor John pay you to say this? No, he didn't. He didn't know I was preaching. He's never seen my notes. He probably won't ever see them. But the Bible says, Hebrews was not written to a pastor. It was written to a church. And he says, look, provoke one another to love and good works. You don't forsake. And I love the way he throws in there. He basically calls some people out. He says, uh, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Side note, as the manner of some is, like that's got to be awkward when you hear that letter written. You show up to church for the first time and they're just reading this out. And they say, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Half the church says amen. And then all the people that just came to letter turned red when he reads, as the manner of some is. I'm sure he looked up then, like looked right at somebody. I'm like, Guys, we can't be forsaken our responsibility to one another. You are not going to get encouraged for serving Jesus in the world. And if you are not getting encouraged for serving Jesus in the church, then by nature, you will stop. That's why Christians burn out. It's our job to come to church saying, look, I'm intentionally seeking out at least five people that I can thank for their service in the church. I'm intentionally seeking out five people that I can encourage to do something for Jesus this week. I'm intentionally seeking out five people that I can have a conversation with and ask them what I can pray for and provoke them unto love and tell them, you know, go out and love somebody. I can provoke them unto good works. I'm looking for, you like, come to church, actually looking for them. Yeah, like, not as a hyperbole. I'm being serious. We should come to church with the mindset that I'm looking for someone to encourage to do something for Jesus. Finally. Let's wrap up by exhorting. Be quick, because it's a lot like provoking, but different. And let us consider one another to provoke unto loving good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. I already mentioned that it's pretty clear, and I'm pretty sure I've heard all of you say something about it's the end times, or the end times are closed, or this is the end. And I definitely agree with you. I don't think that it will be a tremendous amount of time until Jesus comes again. What that means is there's a tremendous amount of work that needs done. And it's our job to exhort one another to do it. And the writer of Hebrews said this a long time ago. So much more as you see the day approaching. If we, let's say, increased how much we exhort one another by 1% from the time this book was written, we're like well past 100%. If we did it 1% every year, we're well past 100% increase on how much we exhort one another. And guys, so much more. So much more. We need more Christians doing more service now more than ever and more tomorrow than today. And if I'm not doing my job to exhort you to do yours, Great Commission is a big fail. And you're like, well, it's probably a big fail anyway. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear the word of God. Yeah, but there's a lot of people who do. A lot. That's on us. This area, go out there, look at the map. Oh, Jerusalem. It's on us. And it's on us to exhort one another. I get it. You guys aren't pastors. You guys don't speak up here. But that doesn't mean you don't have a call. 
Let's do our job in the church. Let's consider one another. If we were all in a battle, we were fighting, I feel like we would be more concerned. If I was fighting and I'm machine gunning and I look over and Aaron's sitting down over there just with his gun in his lap, Indian style, on his phone, I'm not going to be like, oh, what's up, Aaron? Cool. If I look over here and Andy's just, you know, brewing a cup of coffee, I'm not going to be like, good to see you, brother Andy. You know, I'm, no, I'm fighting. I'm in a fight. I'm going to be, hey, you know, get your gun. Shoot, what are, what are you doing? Put your gun back together. Let's, let's fight, you know. Like, what, I'm going to be encouraging as many of you guys to fight as I can because if I fight alone, I'm going to lose, probably die. And, guys, we are in a fight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual warfare. And too often we're completely fine with seeing all of our comrades sent by. And I'll do this one little job myself. Great. Grab somebody and bring them with you and get them doing something too. Guys, as a church, I think you guys do an awesome job. Tons of you people are involved in tons of ministry. And for churches, y'all give a lot. And I'm not so much asking for you to give more. I'm asking, are you exhorting those around you? Are you provoking them to love and good work? Are you letting them know that what they're doing out there is making a difference? Or are we all just standing around doing our thing, and if they want to stop lifting weights, they can. Tonight, we have the opportunity to come into the presence of God. And so I ask you guys, are you in his presence? How near to God are you tonight? Truth be told, if you're not near to God, then there's really little chance that you're going to be provoking anyone to love a good works. If you're not near to God, chances are you're not exhorting anyone. If you're not near to God, chances are, if you're not already, soon you'll be forsaking your responsibility to consider one another. And so I'm just honestly asking, are you near to God tonight? The power that we have as Christians doesn't come from us. And so if we're trying to make it up ourselves, it's not going to work. We need to be in the presence of God. Are you near to him tonight? If not, make that your first priority. To have a relationship that is near to God. Two, hold fast. Don't be ashamed of what you believe. Don't let the world telling you that it's unpopular or it's untrue or that it's different or that it's changed or it doesn't fit or it doesn't matter or that it just isn't anymore. Change what you know to be true from the Lord of God. Don't let other Christians telling you that people are uninterested to tell you from sharing the gospel. Continue in what you know to be true. Hold fast to your profession. And tonight, can we consider one another? Make Christianity more about me saved, tell them. And exhort one another in the woke. Because it is only when the whole body wokes that we're able to fully accomplish what Christ has for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity tonight to look in your word, to preach. 
And God, I feel that this message is equally convicting to me. So often I take your presence for granted. So often, God, I find myself wavering on what I believe based upon what common culture is. And way too often, I live the Christian life focused on what I can do and, and, and on sentence lost and, and no way focused on the believers, on provoking. God setting up an environment where they want to love, where it's natural to do good. God, too often I don't provoke them. Honestly, too often I forsake my responsibility. God, help me to grow. And for those here tonight, may you show them where they need to grow. Maybe in your presence, maybe in how, how tight they're holding on to their profession, or God, maybe in how much they consider one another. And allow us as a church to grow from this moment, God, and to go forth to accomplish more as a body for you. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.